understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Stranded Podcast. You're listening to episode five. If you have carried on with me this long, thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you've felt inspired recently or you heard something that just really moved you, please make sure to jump on iTunes and leave a review and subscribe via email on my website at thestrandedphase.com so you don't miss a beat. Today's episode, I have no special guest. It's actually just me. It's going to be me and you guys today. I really wanted to take an opportunity, a missed opportunity, I feel like I'm kind of late on this, to share about me And I think it's important because if you're joining me on this journey, I want you to know my guests and I also want you to know me. I don't want you to feel like you're listening to a complete stranger. I also think it's imperative that if I'm going to ask my guests to share the most vulnerable, transparent, honest, deepest places of themselves, it's only right that out of respect, I do the same. So today is just about me. And more importantly, why I'm doing this podcast, because it's a lot deeper than just me hearing myself talk. So I hope this, this podcast and these episodes is as special for you as it is for me. So let's get down to Jessica Hurley. I am 28 years old right now. I'm from a itty bitty town called St. Augustine, Florida, up in Northeast Florida. I I believe it has somewhere around a population of about 500,000 or maybe a little bit bigger now. But any of you listening, if you're from a small town, then you know, it's just, it's just different. Um, it's, there's just something about it. You're, you're raised with all the same people, you know, everyone by default, you end up dating the same people you know everything. There's always drama because everyone knows everyone and nothing is kept a secret. And unfortunately, things just get messy because there's little to no opportunity and therefore you're easily influenced, right? When there isn't anything for you to do, you either are influenced in a bad way or you're influenced in a good way. I can definitely say I dealt with both. I was raised in a two-parent household, fortunately, um, by two of the most interesting people ever. The best way I can explain my parents are is uh, they were hippies. They were still stuck in the 70s. You know, um, by default, they were considered alcoholics and still lived off of things grown from the earth. <laughs> yeah, they smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> and um my mother, God bless her. That's my best friend now. I love her so much. 
Uh, she is the nicest, kindest, genuine, most woman I've ever met in my life. And like I said, we are the best of friends now. But um, back then she was very uh, submissive to my father. And my father, with the alcoholism and other things, uh, just wasn't involved. And not not necessarily involved with me. When I was home, he was there. But no extracurricular activities you know, no after school functions. Uh, I hardly ever saw him anywhere that I was besides home. So interesting dynamic, needless to say. So of course, like I mentioned earlier, you're going to be easily influenced in a bad way or a good way. And fortunately for me, I clung to other families and community leaders. So probably from the time I was Tend to the time I moved out, I was always with someone else's parents or people that ran the community. So fortunately for me, I had uh, other opportunities. So throughout high school, I was trying to cling to people. I had other parents that um, parented me. I had my parents who did have expectations for my behavior um, not necessarily expectations for college, but definitely expectations for behavior and did expect that I came home with decent grades. And so I was clinging for a sense of belonging and friends. And so I was easily led and fed by the wrong things. My motivation to do things was often to make friends And I was fed by, you know, compliments on my body and, you know, people telling me that I was cool because I did something badass. So fortunately for me, seemed like, not at the time, but it seemed as if God had other plans because throughout my high school years, even though I couldn't stay out of trouble, and we'll get to that later. But even though I couldn't stay out of trouble, um, I always had good grades. School came easy. And I always had a great job. From the time I was 15 on, I worked uh, for the County Parks and Recreation Department with kids. And there was literally nothing I loved more. I would leave school every day and uh, go to this park and work with these elementary and middle school kids and do their homework. And get them together and feed them and then send them home. And it was my favorite thing to do. I really felt like I'd found my purpose. But in the meantime, I was still, still couldn't stay out of trouble. So throughout working in this position, I was working for a woman that I had very little contact with. Um, But if you remember being a teenager, you know, you can be easily, your attention can stray fast when you see someone that is better than you, prettier, just seems more official. And that was my mentor. (laughs) I was working for a woman that was 10 years older than me, seemed bossy and in charge and knew what she was doing. And she was so pretty. And I was just like, wow, how do I, how do I become this woman? And she would come check on me every month and she would always tell me, um, you know, you're doing a great job. These kids love you. You're following all the rules. You're doing everything I asked you to. You always take it up a notch and I appreciate your work. 
And one month she came to see me and I was sitting in the dugout uh, on a baseball field with my kids while they were playing kickball. And she sat next to me and she said, don't you, don't you like graduate next year? And I said, yeah. And she said, that's so cool. Are you excited? And I said, yeah. And she said, where are you going to college? And I was like, I don't think I am. And I didn't expect the reaction I got. She was so startled and she looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, what are you talking about? Don't you have good grades? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, what are you doing? And I said, I, I'm pretty sure we can't afford college. I, my parents don't have any money. I don't, I don't even know how we would do that. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, do you know the broker you are, the better? You can get scholarships and other things to help you and financial aid to help you go to college. And I was like, never heard of it. (laughs) It's so funny looking back now. I'm like, I was so ignorant, I guess. I didn't know anything because I hadn't been exposed to anything. I was a only child, two parents that barely graduated high school. And I didn't know at 17, I didn't know anyone, no one that had went to college, you know, that I knew close enough where I felt like I could do it too. And so I had a longer, deeper conversation with her and she was like, I'm going to help you get into college. And so I went home that night and I told my, my parents how excited I was. And I'll never forget this. And still to this day, I can't decide whether it was the best thing that ever happened to me or if it just was the stupidest thing I heard come out of my father's mouth. <laughs> but I remember my dad saying, so you want to go to college? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, first of all, with what money? And second of all, it sounds like you're just trying to run away from your problems. You got all these girls in this drama here and you're just trying to run away. We can't afford for you to go to college. And it sounds kind of stupid because you work for the county at 17. If you just stayed there 10, more, 10 15 more years, you could probably retire at 35. Nobody's as lucky as you. Everybody wants a job at the county and they love you. So you should probably stay. And I remember the next day, well, I went in my room that night and just cried and thought, who did, who did I think I was for, for thinking that I could go to college? So I went to work the next day and she called me and she said, did you, did you talk to your parents? Because I would love to come meet with you tonight and help you out and we can start looking at what, what schools you want to apply for and what you want your major to be. And I told her what my dad said and she was like, I'm coming there right now. And she came and met with me and she said, I've never heard someone say that to their child. And she was like, do you want to move in with me? And I was like, what? And so (laughs) I think I rushed home, told my parents, somehow talked them into it. And within a week, and I don't think she expected me to move in that quick at all. But within a week, I... I was moved in and I was living with my mentor (laughs) 
And I remember helping me unpack my bags and I was like, what did I get myself into? Cause she was asking me all these questions and getting into my business. And I was like, Oh, should I tell her? I don't know what to tell her. She wanted to know about my boyfriend and my friends and, and everything. And we'd known each other, but only on a, on an associate basis. So I was, I don't know. My parents had just never had these expectations for me, never asked these, this many questions. So I was confused and uncertain and just, I had no idea what I'd gotten myself into. And I really didn't know what I'd gotten myself into because things got crazy for the better. Um, I guess you don't realize what you don't have until you have it. And boy, did my mentor have some expectations for me. So you have to keep in mind, I worked for this woman and went on to work full time for her and lived with her. And she was like my big sister. So I couldn't be sick because I lived with her. So she would call me and say, you know, get your ass to work. And I couldn't, um, couldn't play hooky. I couldn't go out late at night because she would call me and be like, I know, and you know that you have to be at work in the morning. You need to get your butt home. And of course, as an 18 year old, I just want to do the opposite of everything that she said. And then I felt like I made a mistake because I was like, I moved in with this woman that's trying to control me and I'm an adult. I'm a freaking adult. Like, why is she doing this? And, um, and she just kept it up and her balance was perfect because I could never stay mad at her because it was like, she had these expectations for me and she held me accountable and she was kind of mean, but she was still my friend. Like she still cared about my well being. She always checked on me. And at the bottom of my heart, I knew the structure was needed. I knew I needed somebody breathing down my back like that. I knew that it was coming from a place that where she saw more in me than I could see in myself. I thought I was going to work for kids with kids for the rest of my life at that, at that recreation department. And that's not what she saw. So the best way I can explain the impact that Jamie had on me was right when I moved in with her and I graduated high school, she sat down and taught me how to apply for college, which was from scratch because I didn't know how to apply for financial aid. I didn't know what my parents' taxes were. And I'm, and I don't, I'm certain I'm not alone. I'm sure every 18-year-old had a super difficult time with this. So I applied to five colleges with her, and, um, and we got every single letter back, and I was denied all five. So I remember crying and just telling her, like, but I was crying because I was mad, and I was telling her, I, I really don't like you for making me do this because this just college, this isn't for me. It's, this wasn't for me. And she was like, no, you're going to go to community college, and you're going to live here, and this is going to work. This is for you. Trust me. You can go to school to help kids. You can, you can go to school for this. You can major in this. It's going to be fine. It'll be fun. And I'll, you know, and I'll give you a job you like. So... I worked full time for Jamie and went to community college. And I remember feeling so less than I, at that point I knew people that went to college and I had this, this dream, this goal set in mind that I was going to go to a four year university and I was going to move away from this itty bitty town and it was going to be so great. But my expectations and my, well, my intentions were wrong. My intentions were I just wanted to be able to tell people that I was moving away. I wanted to be better than the people that I was raised with. And it's, it's certain that I wasn't ready. So I lived with Jamie for two years while I went through community college and got my A degree. 
at a small, uh, I think they call it, it, back then it was St. John's Community College. And after that, Jamie and I sat down and we applied for all five schools again. And I got into all five. This was different. This time was different. And I know those of you listening are saying, you know, when you get an AA degree, you can, you can, you can apply anywhere and get in. And, and you might be right, but I didn't expect to have options. I just expected, just like everything else in my life, that I would, get, I would just get by. I would just get one, and I would have to make it work like I do with everything else. I would make it work. And I remember she looked at me and said, now this... This is when you deserve something. We're going to go, you're going to pick a few and we're going to go visit them all and you're going to decide. And I remember stressing out thinking, I don't know what I want. I don't know where I want to be. And she said, trust me, when you go, you'll just know. So we visited the University of Central Florida and we visited Florida State University. And uh, I hands down thought I was going to go to UCF because it was in Orlando and Orlando was cool and Walt Disney World was there and it was fun and I'd been to the club there and it was so great. And uh, I went there and I didn't like it and I didn't know why I didn't like it, but that wasn't it. And then I went to Florida State and I tell this to everybody and it's going to be the stupidest thing I ever say out loud, but it was like the trees there was, there was something about the trees on the campus and the red brick that I was just like, this is home. I don't know why, but it just felt like home. So uh, she moved me to Florida State. And for people listening that know my mentor, <laughs> she was crazy. Like she was crazy. She wasn't easy. She was definitely hard on me. And I just, she's short and Italian and I just remember a lot of my friends saying, like, why do you let her yell at you like that? She's not your mom. And um, But in that period in my life, she was. She was my account- accountability partner. She was my sister. She was my friend. She was my mentor. She was my damn mom. And, um, and at that time in my life, that's what I needed. So in her motherly fashion, she moved me to Tallahassee to go to Florida State. And the whole summer, she made me give her I think $250 a week or every two weeks. And I remember being so mad and I was like, this is my last summer here and I want to have fun with my friends and I'm always broke and this is the craziest thing ever. And she was like, shut up, you'll be fine, trust me. And I remember when I moved to Tallahassee with her or when she moved me to Tallahassee, she, we went up to my apartment, we unlocked the door, um, we put all my stuff down and she looked at me and said, okay, well, I'm going to unpack all your stuff. Right after that, we're going to go find you a job. And the first three months of your rent is already paid. You paid for it by all the money you gave me. I think it might've took two whole years, but when I looked at her, I was like, this woman knows what she's doing. (laughs) Cause I was already stressed about rent and bills and how I was going to survive. And I had no idea what I was doing. And she knew what she was doing the structure and the expectations and the accountability had really started working and it was, it was shaping me for who I was going to become. However, I wish that the story stopped there and I was successful after that and everything fell together. But you know, 
when you have to change who you are completely and become successful or just do the things that you're not used to, part of you, well, that person has to die inside. You have to, you have to let that person die completely to become the new person that you're set to be. And I think earlier I mentioned that I was a follower and I was easily led and I stayed in a lot of trouble. Well, I was arrested three times in high school before, before 18, I was caught stealing. I was, I fought in high school and was arrested and I got caught smoking and I had discovered my mentor, moved in with her, worked really hard to change my life. But the truth is, is that, um, I was doing all the right things sometimes and still doing the things that I knew I had no business doing. So two months after I moved to Florida state and was in college, I got a DUI. I was on my fourth arrest (laughs) and I wasn't ready for that entire version of Jessica to die inside. I wasn't ready for it because even though I had gotten into college and was thought I was ready to change, I was, I was still going out every night. I was still hanging out with the wrong people that had the wrong intentions for me. And I still had the wrong mindset. I hadn't given that up. And I was trying to live one way by day and another by night and expecting substantial results. And if you're doing that and you know you're doing that, please be prepared for God to stop you dead in your tracks. And and that's what that DUI was. That DUI was my wake-up call that said, I know you've got all these plans and, and I've got even bigger plans for you, but you're not ready for it yet. And I need you to prove that to me because you keep playing. You keep playing. You're not ready. And you're not ready to let that person die inside. And if you want what I have to offer, I need you to get it together. And so this fourth arrest, this fourth arrest was different. It was really different. Because I felt... All, all through high school and up until that moment, I always felt like everything that bad that happened to me was I was a victim. I was a victim. Why does this stuff keep happening to me? Why do I always get caught? I think I, think I ended high school with three arrests and like 12 speeding tickets. Like I barely could even keep my car and my insurance. I was getting cussed out left and right by my parents for, for not being able to keep things together and always getting speeding tickets and always getting caught. And I just remember, you know, feeling like, why can't I get ahead? I'm, I'm, I'm the victim. Everyone's always messing with me. Everyone's always picking on me. I can't get, I can't be great because it doesn't, people won't stop and leave me alone and let me be successful. And this, this fourth arrest, that was it. That was really somebody saying, you're either going to be the old you or the new you. But if, if you want to be half, if you're going to do this half and half thing, you can't, you can't move forward another day. So I kind of went into a mode where I punished myself. I really punished myself. And I remember my mentor saying like <laughs> in her in her motherly fashion, they should kick you out of college. I know you just got there, but I wouldn't be surprised. You don't deserve to have a car. Your butt should walk everywhere. You should catch the bus. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they kicked you out and that's what you get. And I remember thinking like if I screwed this up, 
If I get kicked out, I'll never get another chance again. So I went into like this punishment mode. I had dropped every extracurricular activity that I had signed up for, any clubs that I chose to be involved in. I got an extra job. I had all these sanctions that I had to do, you know, classes and and drunk mothers against um, drunk, I mean, sorry, not drunk mothers, mothers against drunk driving, drunk drivers and, um, you know, therapy because I, I had to go to a therapist because I was considered an alcoholic because I blew double the legal limit. I got pulled over you know, was, that was what, what was considered the equivalent of drinking like eight full drinks. Um, so I had therapy and I had classes I had to go to and I walked to all of them. (laughs) I didn't even have to walk. I had friends who were offering to take me every time. And I remember just like, no, no, I'll walk, I'll walk, I'll walk, I'll catch the bus. And I left my car, uh, back home and I, walked to every class and therapy and picked up an extra job. And I just, I wanted to be held accountable. I wanted to feel like I didn't deserve what I had. Therefore I needed to work extra for it. And so I did. And two years later, I graduated from Florida state. I moved to Sarasota. Now I got my bachelor's in something that none of you will know what it is. (laughs) I got a bachelor's in science and recreation and leisure services administration, which basically to me was a job where I could run youth programs at rec centers. And I moved to Sarasota for a job. And then a year later I moved to Tampa and got another job. And at that point, I think I was 22, and I, I should have been successful at that point, and, and I wasn't. Maybe I was. I had enough money to pay my bills. I had friends, but I wasn't happy. There was still a lot of stuff and dust unsettled, things unresolved. I kind of felt myself depressed at times and really, really confused. So I actually moved back home. I moved back home to St. Augustine at uh, 22 and couldn't quite figure out what I was supposed to be doing or what was for me. And I just knew that, well, I didn't know anything. I just moved home and knew that I was super confused. And the only thing that I did know was um, that I still love to work with kids. So I stayed, I think I stayed in St. Augustine for two months and that was enough. (laughs) That was enough motivation for me to get far, far away. I think I left unannounced one day, packed all my bags, um, called my old job in Tampa, asked my CEO if he would take me back. Thank God he said yes. And I called a friend, shout out to Antoinette, called a friend and said, I'm moving back. I need your couch. And she said, you can have it as long as you want. And I moved back with nothing, just a tub of clothes and stayed on her couch for three months until I saved enough money to get my own apartment. I think that was in 2013 and I've been here ever since. And this time around was different. It was really, really different. 
I knew when I came back, I had to focus on my purpose. I had to focus on what made me happy and and the things that helped me maintain. And I knew throughout all of this that I, I had to seek therapy. And for anyone listening that's considering therapy, do it. Just do it. I didn't do it forever because I thought that meant that you were crazy or something was really wrong with you or you needed help. Uh, but my mentor always told me it's, it doesn't mean you're crazy. You're just, it's great to talk to someone with an unbiased opinion that can help you accept and solve some of the things that you don't even know are causing you issues. And I found a lot of things out through therapy, like that when things get nice, I like to self-sabotage because I'm used to chaos and not getting what I want. And so it's almost like it's too good to be true. So I, I self-sabotage when things get comfortable and good and, and great. I also learned that I had a lot of anger towards my father and I had not forgiven him. I had just suppressed everything and uh, chose to act like he didn't exist. I also learned that because of that, I had a lot of issues with self-worth and not being able to set boundaries with people. So I had a lot of issues in relationships where I allowed men and people to run all over me. I was always the one apologizing. If you know me, I probably say the word sorry more than any word in the dictionary in my vocabulary. I was always apologizing. I was always running back. No one could do any wrong. I swear I had no sense when it came to relationships. And I learned a lot through therapy. So, um, and I still go. So again, I'm being open about that. If, um, if it's something you're considering, it's, it's literally just an unbiased opinion for somebody outside your bubble to tell you, um, do you know that you do this a lot? Or do you know that you say this a lot? You know, I learned just to give you an example. I learned last year that my therapist told me one session, do you know that you don't know how to, you never express how you feel? And I was like, what? I, I tell people how I feel all the time. And she said, no, I've asked you five sessions in a row, how things make you feel. And you won't tell me because it's like you feel bad blaming stuff on other people. So, you know, I'll say this about your dad and ask you how you feel about it. And you'll be like, well, you know, at the time I got past it or, you know, your, your ex-boyfriend did this to you. How do you make, how did it make you feel? Well, and I would just say something else. And she said, you never say this made me sad or this made me mad. Like you won't, you won't own those feelings. And I was like, huh, never noticed. <laughs> it's just crazy. That's 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 the the interesting part and and the need for therapy. So so don't be scared of it. But anyway, my last five years in Tampa, clearly an up and down an up and down thing, but um, way way better this time. I really focused on living my purpose and only doing things that fulfilled me and made me happy. Of course, that started with always working with kids. Surrounding myself with positive people that wanted to do the things that I like to do, that were open and honest and didn't judge me and uh, and understood me, and uh, it's it's been an amazing, amazing five years. So to give you, to give get you a little up to date, um, in two thousand and fourteen, I met my boyfriend now, who I've been with for the last three and a half years, 
and we are very happy. And uh, he's the one that pushed me to do this podcast. <laughs> and we have a, a son together named Cameron, who's seven months old. And any of you that have followed me prior to this podcast, my son was actually born 12 weeks early. Um, crazy. I went in for a checkup at 27 weeks and they admitted me to the hospital and said my son wasn't growing and things weren't working. And so they were going to try to keep me for six weeks and, and that didn't last a week. So within a week I was, uh, forced into labor and he was born at 28 weeks and he came out two pounds. And as I was pushing, I asked the doctor if he would be okay. And he said, I don't know. It just depends on if he comes out breathing. And so 2017, August 21st, 2017, he was born. Definitely the scariest day of my life. Um, and Cameron went on to spend 82 days in the NICU. For anyone that has had a preemie child, uh, preemie twins, I have a friend that just had preemie twins recently. That is the most traumatic, craziest thing ever. And God bless you for pushing through it. Uh, please reach out to me. I understand the struggle. It's just for 82 days, my boyfriend and I were numb to the core. We couldn't, we had no internal relationship. We couldn't communicate. Everything was difficult. We were so numb. And you get a call every day that you never know what's going to come out of a doctor's mouth about your child. It is literally an up and up and down journey. One day they're great. One day they need a blood transfusion. One day they're great. They have a blank brain bleed. One day they're great. And then their oxygen's low and their heart's skipping beats. And it was the craziest thing ever. Um, but God is good. And my son had some serious prayer warriors. And this will be a part of his testimony because... His butt is home and healthy and well and has graduated from everything. And knock on wood, we have no issues with Cameron Carter Bruce. He's as healthy as he can be. So, And um, I created this podcast because the word stranded to me reminds me of multiple phases in my life where I had no idea where I was going. When I got arrested for the first time because I was stealing with my cousin because all of her and her friends were so cool and I thought it was right and it was appropriate. And then I sat in that jail cell at 15 thinking, where am I going? And I got back to school and I couldn't get my head on straight because I was torn between everyone that thought it was so cool that I'd been arrested and torn between I knew I had goals and ambition and wanted more and this wasn't the route that I wanted to go down. I was stranded then. When I wanted to go to college, but my, my father refused to help me, and I was upset, I felt stranded then. When I got my DUI, I felt stranded then. I felt like I had thrown away everything that I had earned, and my opportunity to do something different was lost. I was lost and stuck and felt stranded. And when I moved here and lived here for three years and then moved back home, I had gone that far to 
move away from home, make a complete circle for seven years, and then move back to St. Augustine where the one place I didn't want to be, that, then I felt stranded. And even in the last five years, there was a period after I got my master's degree in the end of 2016 that I didn't know after $30,000 of debt where I was going and what I was going to do with this master's degree that I so badly wanted. But right now, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I have an amazing family. I have a an amazing job. I love my job. I, I work for a national nonprofit uh, as the director of partnership. So a uh, short version, I'm basically the liaison between a bunch of programs that serve 5,000 kids a year and uh, any partners um, that they may have. And it's it's so dope. AMIKids.org, guys. Check it out. AMIKIDS.org. We've been around for over 45 years. Amazing organization. Um, I have my podcast. I am speaking on a TED Talk April 12th, guys. TEDx Talk. Sorry. TEDx Talk at USF St. Pete, April 12th, three days before my birthday, about the very thing that I am the most passionate about. And that's mentoring, because a mentor changed my life. I've mentored in the last six communities I've lived in, and they say 90% of people that are mentored will in turn mentor. So if you want to think about something that'll make a a powerful impact, uh, go mentor a kid. Just one hour, once a week. Go mentor somebody because they could need you as bad as I needed my mentor. And she was always there. And because she was always there, I kept pushing the needle forward. So you could be that for somebody else. So the reason I did this podcast is because I want to talk about that stranded phase. And what I've realized through the years is that everybody I've met, myself included, my boyfriend, Every successful person that I am just in awe about, I'm just, you know, foaming out the mouth, just like, this person is so amazing. They're so inspiring. They've all got a similar story. They weren't born and given this birthright and a silver spoon and life was great. Every successful person has been through some shit. Like, been through some shit. And if there's anybody listening right now, I want you to know that this podcast is for you if you feel stuck in your marriage, stuck in your life, stuck in your current relationship, stuck because of work, your career, your job, your family. Life just doesn't make sense right now. You wake up every morning wondering what you're doing or why you're doing things this way or you know, am I depressed? I'm not depressed. I can't really tell, but I'm not happy. I'm confused. If you're stuck, this podcast is for you because I want people listening to understand that there's so much on the other side. I mentioned to you probably five different times where I considered myself on an island alone, stranded, stuck, not knowing where I was going, not knowing about my goals, not knowing how I was going to push the needle forward, clueless. And and now I'm here, ha- the happiest I've ever been. And I want you to embrace this stuck phase, this stranded phase, 
and know that if you get through this, if you're being forced to be in this situation, that you are not giving a goal or a dream that you can't handle, but you will have to deal with tough stuff to prove that you deserve your destiny. Every single successful person has been through tough shit because it is a rite of passage. You are living through your rite of passage right now because there is something so much bigger than you on the other side. So I hope that if you're listening for whatever reason that things don't feel right right now, that you just embrace it and try to learn everything you can because what's coming is great. So I hope I hope I was vulnerable and transparent and honest with you guys today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I didn't share too much. Cross my fingers. I'm I'm nervous as all ever that I was you know, that transparent with you guys, but I want you to know every bit of me. I want to share this journey with you. Uh, I want people's stories to inspire you to embrace things and move forward. And I want you to be as equally vulnerable with me. I want, um, I want to hear it all. So as I continue to work hard every day to keep myself positive and motivated and happy, I want to share those things with you guys. And, uh, and if, and just if, if this helps one person, then, then my, my work is done. So I hope everyone has a wonderful week and, and thanks again for checking out the stranded podcast. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of the stranded podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.